Navigating the Storm, Episode 13, Recalibration. Hi, welcome to today's episode. I'm Anna Knight, a personal development coach on a mission to help women and non-binary people survive all the storms that life's throwing at us. I want everyone I come into contact with to come out of the other side of their challenges stronger and more authentically them than they ever were before. On this podcast, I chat to people about their life experiences. So I ask them about their stories, what they've learned, the advice they have for other people walking the same path. My guests aren't necessarily famous, although Judy Dench is definitely on my list of dream guests. What I want to do is have real conversations with people about the things that are important to them. Today I'm talking to Amy Gladding, a teacher, mum and incredibly talented artist. I first came across Amy through our producer Mel and the experimental techniques that she uses on her work have kept me coming back to her Instagram again and again. We'll be talking about the importance of the arts, especially in 2020. The impact that having children can have on your other identities, like as a teacher or an artist, and the pressures that there are on all of us, but particularly working mums, to be some kind of superwoman. Thanks for coming on today. Hi. And could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. So my name is Amy Gladding and I am a teacher. I teach photography and I teach art. I'm also a photographer in my spare time, I suppose, and a kind of photo artist and a mum of a crazy two-year-old. So a lot to take up your time then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So quite busy, but all positive things. I suppose lots of interaction with the youth in a way, really, you know, through obviously my daughter and then other friends with youngsters and things we do. And then obviously working in a secondary school. So it's year seven and then through to a sixth form as well. So all the way up to year 13. So kind of 10-year-olds to 18-year-olds. Yeah. And how do you balance all of that? Um, I work at the moment three days a week. So I have two days off with my toddler, which is really nice. I sort of didn't really feel I wanted to go back to work full time because I can do that when she's a bit older, you know. So I did want to continue having time after my maternity leave ended with Otilia so that we had time to do our own thing. And, you know, I sort of think it's a really important job being a mum and I'm trying to do it as best as I possibly can. And I think having time with her, but still having, you know, that balance of a working life and a career is important as well. I say balance, trying to find a balance is quite difficult. I think sometimes people don't realise how much teachers actually do outside of the school day as well. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really stop, you know. And also, being a part-time member of staff in a school is very difficult because obviously so many things, especially in the current climate, you know, so many things are changing. And um, if you just switch off from work for your two days off or however many days you aren't in, you will be completely lost when you return to work. So my emails from school come straight into my phone and I will keep track and keep up with all of that on my days off and respond to stuff. And you've always got something to do, you know? Yeah. 
it sounds like it is quite difficult to have that boundary between home and school then. Yeah, I think there isn't really a boundary. I think if you are a teacher, then you kind of eat, sleep, breathe your teaching job, you know, especially because you will be passionate about your subject. So because I love teaching art, I love teaching photography, but because I do it as well, you know, I don't just go in and deliver to the students. I also create in any time I have. So that sense of creating is really important, but everything that I do at school with the kids helps me with my own practice and everything I do in my own practice will actually help inform the kids and keep me more current as well. So the whole thing's quite good, really. It's a big cycle. And I think if you are in love with your subject, then it doesn't feel like a strain. You know, you don't feel like, oh God, I never get to leave work. Yeah, one of my mentors said to me once that if you're doing she called it your vision but if you're doing that thing that you love a bad mm. day is still a bad day in service of that so it it makes it more manageable because you've got the drive and the passion to keep going yeah I think the passion's really key and because we do art and we do photography I'm always adapting the curriculum I'm always changing lessons I don't deliver the same scheme of work every single year with any of my year groups just because Sometimes you have to change it based on the kind of group you get. Sometimes the dynamic of a group will absolutely not be suited to maybe teaching clay or something. And sometimes you might have a boy heavy group and you think, actually, I need to pitch my scheme of work to suit the needs of this class. So I'm always changing. So actually, that, like you said, that planning, that work that goes on outside of the teaching can be quite a heavy workload because... I want to keep stuff quite fresh and I want to keep changing what I'm doing. That helps me to not stagnate and just repeat the same projects year after year. You know, I then feel interested and the kids can pick up that I'm interested and it kind of is infectious. Yeah, I think kind of thinking back to my own school days, it is those teachers who you know love their subject that stick with you rather than the ones that are thinking, oh my God, not this again. But yeah, I remember my... When I went to art college, I remember my teacher from art college and he had a massive impact on me and gave me the confidence to carry on with the subject. And if you sort of think I wouldn't actually be where I am in my life if it hadn't been for that teacher. So I suppose it's quite powerful, isn't it, really? And as you teach, if you're aware of that, maybe then hopefully you can try and have an impact, a positive impact on the youngsters that you teach. Yeah. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you at the moment with the climate we're in, there's lots of talk about ah oh, jobs in the arts viable. Yeah. Like, what do you think is the importance of the arts to our society? I think it's massively important. And also, I think people maybe have a blinkered view on what the arts is. And when you maybe start to open it up for them, they then would realise actually how important it is you know let's think about people in lockdown you know during a really hard time that we've all just gone through everyone's gone through it you know and everyone would have responded in different ways and had a different individual struggle but I would imagine that everyone tried to access something to ease their struggle that we could fit under that umbrella of the arts you know whether it be performance that's music based or theatre based or you know drama television or whether it be something creative, a craft. You know, I think people more and more are turning to access those types of creativity, those types of arts. And actually, they are just constantly being undervalued. It's been kind of glaringly obvious lately with the campaign that we saw come out. But it's always been going on. And we've been seeing our numbers fall, kids not choosing our subjects in school because their kind of wider view of society and then maybe their parents is that it doesn't lead on to anything and it doesn't have a place in society. Whereas we know it's been one of our growth industries 
even from the last recession, you know, it's always something that people will want to access, people feel passionate about, people feel healed by it. And I think, I think it's really important. Yeah. And that's such a good point. The healing and the comfort that consuming and creating art can actually have on you. Yeah. At the start of lockdown, I've never been I've never I was gonna say I've never been arty but actually I'm gonna rephrase that I've never explored that side of myself that much Mm -hmm. before now but at the start of lockdown when we were doing you know the daily one hour exercise walks that you were allowed yeah I actually started taking one of Mel's cameras out with me and Mm -hmm. started doing some photography and the benefit that that had on my mental health and on getting me out of my head and into the moment was just incredible Mm -hmm. just massive I think people were doing it in all different ways I mean we think of creativity we think of the arts and we think of you know someone dancing around in a theatre or we think of someone doing a painting don't we what about gardening what about you know sculpting a space in the garden and what about cooking or baking all the people that were changing around their spaces their sanctuaries their homes all that interior design all of those things are still creativity aren't they they're just a different format you know, people might have started writing, people might have started reading more, like you say, picking up a camera, maybe when they haven't done that before. I think it's something that we turned to. Surely even the people that are behind this campaign, did they not cook an interesting meal, eat some unusual food, or did they not watch anything on television, listen to any music, read any poetry? Were they not accessing any of those creative things and realising, seeing the value and importance in it on their mental well-being? For them to then go forward into this next stage and say, actually, you know what, we don't need artists in the future. We don't need creative humans. There's no place for that. I find it frustrating. I mean, I think I've been exposed to it for a long time. For example, I had a student come to an open evening probably four or five years ago. She'd come to a sixth form open evening with her mum and she'd come into the photography A-level classroom. I'd given them a tour of our darkroom, which is obviously really exciting, and talked to them about what we offer, digital darkroom, experimental photo arts. And the mother said she's really keen, she really loves it, she really wants to do it, but me and her father don't want her to do it because then we want her to do a real subject. And, you know, you hear this all the time. Yeah. And you have to find a way to, I suppose, then validate your subject and try and make it... At the end of the day, people have formed their opinions, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they have that moment and I bet your heart just sinks when you're like, oh, God, yeah. not this again. Especially because I could see how excited the student was. I could mm-hmm. see how intrigued by the work she was and how she was buzzing about the opportunity to do it. And actually, she didn't do it in the end. You know, maybe that was the right decision for her, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe she got pushed down this academic path. Like you say yourself, you know, there is a pressure to be academic. I remember when I was finishing school, I had applied to the sixth form at my school, which was relatively new. Um, But I also had applied at the college, the local kind of college in town. And no one I knew was going there. But I went with my mum to look around on an open evening and we asked a member of staff there to give us a tour of the facilities. And I just remember this woman took us all round the art studios. I'd never really seen a studio space before. You know, I'd had like an art classroom at high school, but we went to these studios and she talked about the things they did. And I was just getting more and more excited and just thinking at no point did I think to myself, I won't be able to do this because my mum wants me to do a certain thing in a certain way and follow a certain path because she was always open to letting us do whatever we wanted, you know, whatever would make us happy because she knew that was ultimately the most important thing. And I remember we drove home and she said to me, oh, Amy, you, I can just see you doing that. I can see you loving it. 
and you won't have to try and spread yourself across lots of subjects at A-level. You can just do this course at the college and it will just be art, you know, and then all the different things within that. And I went and I did it and it was absolutely the best two years of my whole life. I loved it. Even better than my degree, you know. You're so young coming out of school and those routines and those systems and I just, I loved it. And then it kind of really ignited a sort of fire in me to keep going with it. Yeah, and it's so, so lovely when you find that, right, of that thing that you're like, yeah, this is what lights me up. So Mm. being a mum now yourself, Mm. how does that fit in with all the art you create? I think it didn't fit in at all. It really did not fit in to begin with. When she was really tiny, I found it really difficult to make anything. You don't have any time. I think no one can ever prepare you for how tough it is when they're tiny. And then now I'm at the stage where she's an absolute bonkers two-year-old and I look back to when she was tiny and think, God, that was so easy, but it wasn't, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I... um, she was breastfed so that also kind of means you're sort of tethered to the baby and they're really sort of reliant on you but in many ways it's like the absolute best thing ever but also the hardest thing ever you know Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't change it for the world I mean I would not even be in this world if she wasn't in this world I just couldn't be without her she's just the best thing ever but it has been a real adjustment you know I think actually it's just kind of gone in stages. So when she was really small, she used to sleep in the sling on me a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I started to try and find things I could do while she was sleeping on me in the sling that were creative. Anyway, and I was spending probably an unhealthy amount of time on Instagram. And I started following this woman who was a weaver. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I could try that. And I'd done some before. Uh, years ago when I was an art therapist, you know, we used to do weaving with the clients. They were yeah. cool, sort of, it was quite relaxing. I didn't know very much about it. Anyway, so then spent a extortionate amount of my maternity pay on loads of gorgeous yarn and merino wool and all this stuff and bought a loom and blah, blah, blah. And then I would try and weave with a baby strap to my front. And I made all these weaves. I've still got them all. They're all in the cupboard. I've sold maybe three of them. I was just trying to find a new creative thing because what I thought was the creative me that I'd kind of lost, you know, been completely lost. I've been completely transformed by motherhood. And I was like, you're told you're supposed to spring back, bounce back, go back to your the normal you, the old you. But actually, I don't think you should. I don't think you should do that because you're not that old you anymore. Everything about your life is different. And in a positive way, you need to move forward with it and try and adapt. So so I was trying, I think, to change the work that I made because I thought what I was doing before maybe I couldn't do again. Anyway, and then we got to the point where the babe started napping in the buggy. Couldn't believe it. So I used to go on these long walks and I used to take the camera and she would wake up if the buggy stopped, even for a second. So I learnt, <laughs> I learnt to very carefully kind of give the buggy a little bit of an extra push, take a quick photograph and then catch up with Karen walking. Literally is insane. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> and because we lived like in a really nice area in Suffolk, I would just walk all around the little back roads. I'd just walk for miles and miles and miles. So I started photographing again and then I'd walk into town, drop the film off, wait an hour, go straight back and get it. And then um, I kind of got back into it. And then my maternity leave was rapidly coming to an end and I knew she was going to need to go to nursery. And I knew, basically, I could drive. My mum's actually a driving instructor. I'd qualified to drive years ago, but I hadn't ever owned a car or driven. So, 
what I needed to do was get that sorted out. So I got like a little car on finance, kind of built my confidence up again and then started driving. And then she started napping really nicely in the car. So then suddenly all these new worlds were opened up to me. So I'd load all my cameras into the, um, all my different ones, Polaroid and film camera, digital camera, onto the front seat of the car, put her in, get her off napping. And I just used to drive around. And we live in such a lovely part of the world. You can get out within 10 minutes into really beautiful areas. And I would just photograph all this kind of countryside. Obviously the seasons were changing. I'd had the baby in May. So I was coming back round you know into that spring mm -hmm. before I had to go back to work which was really daunting actually and I just used to just leap out of the car obviously safely obviously and just photograph things out in the sticks and she got a lot better at settling so I could kind of park up on a little country lane and then I could get out of the car and like wander sort of within a few feet and take some shots yeah. So there's basically this massive row of pylons that run through the landscape in Suffolk. I became really interested in them. They're like this, these weird, I find them slightly masculine, like structures in the landscape. And we went to Iceland years and years ago and they had really unusual pylons. And I remember finding those really beautiful. They're all different sort of shapes and they look so figurative, don't they? They have this real sense of stance to them. So I kind of just used to drive around these routes and try and photograph these pylons like in the landscape. And then I started using more experimental film and then when I went back to work I think I got a new balance then I didn't want to go back to work and I was so worried about leaving her but she had been so I think I'd allowed her to be so dependent on me and she'd been so supported all of her needs had been met that she has developed into a really really independent youngster and she's just been brilliant so once I was back at work she was so settled in nursery that I could get really stuck into my job again you know mm -hmm. and teaching the students again seeing their projects coming up with new stuff that I wanted to do and getting back into that job role it then meant that I was creating more and more and more and then it's just kind of continued since then and I think without my job, I wouldn't make as much work as I do. Mm -hmm. So if people want to go and explore your work, which I think is just absolutely beautiful, where will they find oh, thank you? Thank you. So I'm on Instagram as my underscore far away, which actually sounds very fancy, like it's my far away land or whatever. But it's basically my Yahoo email that I made when I was 14 that I just kind of kept using. So Oh, that's um, brilliant. And then I've got um, a website and all the works on the website actually need to update it because I've got so many new films to upload on there so the website is weirdly enough it's www.hallolady.com but it's lady l-a-d-y and then it's got three e's so l-a-d-y-e-e-e.com and that comes from when I worked at the resource centre with the disabled adults and the people with learning difficulties and stuff, I looked after this absolutely wonderful lady and she used to, she was such a character, I just, I'll never ever forget her. She always used to say, hello lady, and call everyone lady. And it sort of stuck with me. And then um, everyone used to call me the art lady when I was there. So anyway, when I got to make a website, they sort of say, oh, choose your domain name. And I thought, I have something sensible. You know, something boring, just like my name, like mm -hmm. just, decided to have that instead oh, yeah, so that's that. where people can find me I try and get involved you know in artist initiatives and groups and things like that and there are some really really lovely people you know that have supported my creativity online and elsewhere locally as well so I'm, I have been really lucky to be involved in some interesting projects with Analog Wonderland they did a feature on women in film and I've got a feature coming up with If We Film about women photographers you should know and then Aeonian Magazine of 
published some of my stuff. Mm-hmm. A lovely small independent company called Fleur and Arbor, which is two women. They've got some stuff. I find Instagram nowadays, and now that I've maybe curated my feed to be a bit more focused on me seeing creative things that mm-hmm. inspire me and don't make me feel unproductive, you know. I yeah. found like a really nice little group of people and experimental photographers and there's quite a lot going on. I'm trying to get involved in as much of it as I can. I don't sleep very much, basically. <laughs> There's not enough hours in the day, is there? No, definitely not. And I'm really struck by that, actually, the extent of collaboration that your art is giving you. I don't know about you, like, for me, the collaborating is a big part of the fun in mm. what I do. So it, it's really lovely to hear that there are these pockets of you out there thinking about women in photography and supporting each other. That's such a brilliant thing to to be out in the world. Yeah, I think you have to tap into it because I think as much as there is that out in the world, there is actually also quite a lot of competitiveness, isn't there? You know, I think mm-hmm. I think that arts is something that if you're not careful, you can get caught up in trying to be the best and mm-hmm. looking at other people's work and judging or comparing yourself, you know, against it. Yeah. Sort of. And I think I definitely did that to begin with. I was seeing these, you know, these yummy mummies on the internet that are doing it all. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They've got the baby on the boob and one in the buggy and they're whipping up a quick wee or a lovely pavlova or something in the background. Do you know what I mean? And it's just unrealistic, yeah. isn't it? You have to get to the point where you think, actually, you know what, I've got to just do this in my own way to meet with my own lifestyle and the needs of my family and stuff. But yeah, there are some really lovely communities out there and the people that I have been in contact with and worked with have just been brilliant. And actually, Paul from Analog Wonderland, Paul and Mary, they sort of put me in touch with a group of other film photographers, which Mel's in, which is how I know Mel, actually. And we just have a chat on Instagram and everyone follows everyone. And it's been brilliant. They're so knowledgeable. They're like insanely knowledgeable about stuff. And so is Mel. And I'm just the sort of <laughs> experimental person in the corner that's just kind of trying to blag my way through it all. Oh, that's so funny because Mel would say that everyone else is really knowledgeable about it. She's blagging her way through it. So Mel. is that funny thing? thing about perception isn't it yeah no I suppose it is I just yeah. I think because I've always come into the photography from an art background mm-hmm. I have always been more of an artist and it is a tool that I use but it's always like the starting point for me and then the photographs might be well they almost always are manipulated further you know so I'm either mm-hmm. like souping my film or painting on the Polaroids or sculpting the photographs into little mini kind of origami pieces do you know what I mean it's, yeah. it's almost always just a starting point I'm like the opposite of a purist and a minimalist you know I'm like full on keep going keep building it up more and more and more and then um, I'm not very good at refining things but yeah you were talking about collaborating and I think it's the real key way of moving forward isn't it with with your work collaborating with other people and sometimes with people that are like-minded but then sometimes with people that are coming from a completely different direction and approach to the work than Mm -hmm. you because that's what changes your work doesn't it and yeah and I think I'm collaborating with my students that's the key thing for me I think because my A-level kids they're so knowledgeable they're so smart and they are so visual they've just been exposed to this visual world that we just never were you know Mm -hmm. they come up with stuff and 
it inspires me, you know? So I think I'm always collaborating with them, even though they probably would never consider that, you know? Yeah. They're always changing my work. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's what makes it so enjoyable, I think. And um, mm-hmm. I do love it. It is a brilliant job. And to take you a little bit back to something you'd said about the yummy mummies out there <laughs> and how that is, I was really struck when you said about the pressure once you've had your baby to bounce back. Mm. And I think it's something we don't necessarily talk about enough is the pressures that are on mums to like you say be the mum who's doing all the lovely nurturing things for their baby and who's doing their career stuff and who's doing Mm. the the creative things like the baking or the art do you see that in a lot of the other mums you know that there is this pressure to be everything and do everything yeah, I think it applies for women in any roles, maybe even not mothers. I just think that there's so many roles and so many ideals and women are constantly pushed. And we always have been, haven't we? You know, and we've kind of absorbed these pressures into our psyche and they don't really go away, do they? Mm-hmm. So basically it's like you've got to be this perfect mother, you know, and you've got to be natural, you know, you need to breastfeed the baby, but not for too long, because then you might be a bit weird, you know, and then <laughs> and then you need to also make sure, you know, that you're the perfect partner. And, you know, I just think then you've got to be this career woman, but are you meant to be a career woman? Because aren't you supposed to be lovingly looking after your family? Or mm-hmm. I just think it's so hard. And I spoke to my partner about it, you know, recently and said to him, like, it is really impossible to fit into all of these roles. And like, I can't do it. I physically cannot do it. While you go on maternity leave, someone else kind of steps into your shoes and does your job role. Then when you return to work, there's that pressure of, I'm now coming back into this job role as a part-timer with a different focus. I don't now have 110% attention and focus for my job role because I've also got a lot going on in the background as well. So am I now undervalued in my workplace or am I now viewed differently? You know what I mean? I'm a part-timer, whereas once before I was full time and I just think you just have to make all of these adjustments and it's just really really hard and I don't think anyone tells you well they could tell you but you'd never really understand would you you'd never ever be able to empathize with it until you are in that position and doing it but it's just a bit of everything isn't it you have to try and ignore it all don't you and just do what's best for you or figure out which roles are most important. You know, I just try and prioritise. And the babe comes first. She's my absolute number one priority. And then things just slot in around that. And some things fall on the wayside. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because actually, you can't physically do everything. And I think maybe you can go to these different groups and you do see all these different types of mums and and without meaning to, you will also judge how they're doing what they're doing because we're just taught to judge We're taught to police. We're taught to decide if a woman's doing something in the right or the wrong way. And it's rubbish, isn't it? Because everyone's just trying to get by and just do what they need to do to get through. Anyway, one of my closest friends had a baby a few weeks before me. So we ended up going through it all together and it really worked because we were the same type of human. You know, we would just do our own thing. You start to realise if it makes you feel rubbish going to these mum groups, you know, and seeing other parents and seeing other people and how they're coping and how they're getting by and how they look. And you know what I mean? If that makes you feel rubbish and makes you doubt your own coping, then don't do it. I just think it's really hard. I I can't even express what I want to say. I just think you just have to get through it and do what's best for you and the baby. Yeah, and I think there's almost that split of, like you say, when you're just about to have the baby or the baby 
he's very new people they'll tell you oh it's really hard and and you're not appreciating it because you're not in it but it's almost when you are in it you then stop talking about it Mm -hmm. with other people because you're like oh well I should just be able to handle all of this so yeah yeah there's like that's massive that like I shouldn't moan about this because this should be fine I should Mm -hmm. be coping with this I should be enjoying this and all of that stuff where does that come from why should we like who is telling us that and it's just these pressures from society and and a lot of those things if we go all the way up top will be being controlled potentially by a male who has no real bearing and understanding of the practicalities and day in day out role of a mother with a tiny baby i just think there's still just this huge imbalance i think sometimes it's inescapable and i it really makes me really grateful, I think, for the some of the women I've had in my life. So my best friend who I met when I worked in a school, we were the two speech therapists that worked in the school and we shared an office and we spent a lot of time together. Mm-hmm. But she had this wonderful thing of whenever I'd express that I wasn't coping with something or I was struggling, like her response wasn't like a necessarily like sympathy coping. She'd be like, yes, like say it, like let it out. Yeah. And that really kind of stuck with me. Refreshing. Yeah. So in my Facebook group that I run now, if someone is expressing that they're having a hard time, I always try and make sure that the first thing I say is, oh, that's brilliant that you've shared that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Because I just really want to normalize that idea that we can talk about the tough things. Yeah. And I think that's happening now, isn't it? I think a lot of people are becoming aware of how important it is to normalize it all. Mm -hmm. All these different things you know people are still trying to do it aren't they and trying to encourage it hopefully it will continue to happen but it's not something that we're used to is it i don't know and and is it a british thing you know are we like this weird kind of stiff upper lip is that where it comes from or oh that's a really good question is it a generational thing you know i know the youngsters that i teach they're just so different they're so brilliant they're so open and they're so inclusive and they're so non-judgmental and they're so free you know and, and I feel like and I say this to my friends more and more I feel like the generations we go up and up and up and are we more stiff upper lip are we more judgmental are we more closed-minded do we ever have the kind of freedom and openness that they just seem to just have how do we unlearn all this stuff when we've just been raised with it yeah the coach part of me saying that's why you need a coach Mm -hmm. a lot of what I do with the people that I coach is we look at it's almost like the social contracts that you are not always aware that you've signed but you have anyway yeah and we kind of take them out of the mental filing cabinet and actually look at them and go is this one helpful for you the individual or does it need to go yeah. yeah, and if it needs to go, we just bin it. We put something else in its place that works for them as a person. Because, yeah, there's so much that we do that is programmed into us. Mm. There's a really cool, I was going to say it's a quote, the really cool thing I saw on the internet that I think someone tweeted. <laughs> they were saying that their mama taught them that the first reaction you have on seeing something is what society's told you to think. Mm. And then the second reaction is it filtering through your own beliefs and your values. So if you have that kind of snap thing of teenagers are all moody and sullen, Mm -hmm. then that's what we've been taught as a society. And then you go, actually, no, they're not. Like, shut up, brain. But it is being present to how much we've been taught about the world that Mm -hmm. 
actually doesn't belong to us and yeah we don't need to hang on to no and I think actually I'm 34 now and I think in the last few years obviously bearing in mind what's happened as well with the current situation but Mm -hmm. I think you just start to become more and more reflective and I, I don't know if it's just me but I feel like I've got to a stage now where I am reflecting on like who I actually am am I as good as I could be you know do I do as as much good as I could do and I feel like you you start to unpack a lot of stuff don't you Mm -hmm. I also think becoming a mother makes you then look at your own family and your relationships and your interactions and everything just is kind of being unpacked and it's kind of come out and like you say it's a perfect analogy of like what do you choose to put back in what do you choose Mm -hmm. to keep and move forwards with because actually some stuff is completely useless to you, mm-hmm. hinders you probably. Yeah. So, And I think my partner has probably found it challenging to try and keep up with me and who I actually am now, you know, because I've probably changed a lot from who I was before the baby was here to who I am now that the baby is here. She's older. She's making her own way in the world, albeit just through nursery, but that's still an important stage, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. and I've returned to work in a different position, you know, my career is yeah. different my interests are different. Even for a small example, when obviously I was pregnant, I couldn't and didn't drink. And then when I was breastfeeding the babe, I didn't drink. And then um, I just never really gone back to it. Mm -hmm. You know, like in lockdown, we did a couple of big old family quizzes on Zoom. And for a few of them, I had like a glass of wine. It just made me feel so rubbish. And I just, I stopped drinking. I stopped eating meat when the baby was tiny because I just started to think about all the things I was putting into my body and how Mm -hmm. they were getting through to the baby. I don't know. And you just start to recalibrate in so many ways on so many different levels and you come out the other side and you're just unrecognizable from who you were Mm. to begin with you know yeah and I love that word that you just used of recalibrate that's so perfect for it isn't it these things like becoming a mother or sometimes the big milestone birthdays and things like that it is a recalibration it is a change to the settings Mm -hmm. and Mel and I joke quite a lot that the pair of us that we are now is so removed from who we were when we met like nearly three years ago now yeah that actually we've had to grow with each other and change with each other because we're all in this constant process of learning from our experiences and recalibrating and Mm -hmm. I think it's not till you get older that you actually are reflective you know Mm -hmm. you just carry on about it and just go about your ways don't you but you get to a certain stage when you start to think uh you know like did I did I do that right am I being the best person I could be I feel and it must be lockdown as well but I feel very reflective lately Mm -hmm. and trying to get better be better yeah and not to like go all quote and frozen on you but it's that doing the next right thing it's the this is the good next step for me yeah let's just go with it yeah like snowball and sort of take you Amy talked so passionately there about a way of being that can actually feel pretty disempowering if you're stuck there long term. If you feel under that pressure to be the perfect wife or mother, employee, artist, daughter, whatever roles you're filling, then you're actually so much more likely to burn out under all that pressure. Trying to be superwoman doesn't actually leave much room around the edges for replenishment or fun, or even some of those things that we see as vital like quality time with the people we love. So that's why one of the key things I do with the people I coach is to retire this superhuman mode and help people to find other empowering ways of living 
and leading, which aren't going to weigh them down or burn them out. So if you felt like that description Amy gave could have been describing your life too, please come find me online in my Facebook group, Port in the Storm. Superwoman might get you through a stressful 15 minutes, but there are other strategies to get you through the rest of your life. Next week, we'll be talking to two of my favourite women in the whole world, my big sister Lauren and my eldest niece Megan. We'll be talking all about what it's like being a teenager and a mum to a teenager in 2020, how each of us approaches the future, and what qualities we see and respect in the people around us. I'm so proud to be part of their family, they're both just incredible, and I can't wait for you all to get a window into our little world. See you next week. Navigating the Storm is hosted by Anna Knight and produced by Anna Knight and Mel Robinson. Mm-hmm.